Well, I greet you in the name of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has laid down his life for us that he might be the redemption needed. He is the propitiation for our sins. Propitiate means that he has turned away and satisfied God's wrath for us like a sponge on the cross. He has taken the punishment that we deserve. My name is Parker Johnson, and I'm the pastor here at First Presbyterian Church. Uh, today is Sunday afternoon, February the 7th. I'm going to be releasing this a little early this week. Have a busy week, and I wanted to get ahead. I do hope that this finds you well. Let's pray. So, Father, we thank you for your love and for your grace. Uh, Lord, it is amazing how you sustain us and give us the strength that we need. I pray now, Lord, as we look at the membership vows that we take as a church, that you would remind us of these vows. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would remain true to these vows. We pray for the students who are going through the communicants class. Uh, Lord, work in their hearts. We thank you for them. And Father, for your covenant children at our church. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, this afternoon I met with our students who are going through the communicants class here at the church. Our communicants class is a class that our children uh, go through, our young students, I think is the more modern way of talking about them, our young students, uh, whose parents feel that they are ready to become members. And today we laid out what, the, what basically is church membership, uh, and, uh, and we talked about in passing, in summary form, the membership vows that every member takes at our church. And I thought today I might um, review some of that teaching that we talked about today, especially about membership vows. You know, if you have joined our church or any other PCA church, that's our denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, there are five vows that you took when you joined as a communing member, that is someone who is able to come to the Lord's Supper a full member in the terms of having made a public profession of faith and one who is able to uh, vote and be a part of church um, uh, meetings. Uh, what's that called? Congregational meetings in which we make decisions. You know, a vow is something that we make not so much to each other, but to God. And just as we should remember our vows that we took to God when we were married, your, your wedding vows, we should call to mind and remember the vows that we took as members of this local branch of God's church, First Presbyterian Church of Bruton. So I wanted to go through these uh, because they really are an outline of the Christian life and what it means to be a member of a local church. The first one, I'm going to read it twice and then explain what it is. The first one, do you acknowledge yourselves to be sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure without hope save in his sovereign mercy? Okay, let me read that again. Number one, do you acknowledge yourselves to be sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure and without hope save in his sovereign mercy. We can summarize this first vow with the summary of, I am a sinner and need God's mercy. That's what we're saying in the first vow. 
we are publicly proclaiming before all the watching world that we, I, personally deserve to go to hell. That I am a sinner. That my life is one that apart from Christ is defined not by righteousness, but unrighteousness, wickedness instead of good. Even my good deeds are tainted with sin. You know, I love this, uh, how our vows say it, justly deserving his displeasure. That word justly is important. So oftentimes when we think of court proceedings, we think in civil courts about ameliorating or uh, lessening the impact even when we are guilty, looking for a plea bargain. But that's not how it works with God. God is just, right? He is a just God. <coughs> Excuse me, just God. He is a just judge. And there is no plea bargain. There is no way around the justice that you and I deserve apart from Jesus. And we deserve, justly deserving, his displeasure. Ephesians chapter 2, let me read just a few verses there. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. And here it is. And were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Children of wrath is a phrase that refers to um, the fact that we were governed by, that we were produced by, that we deserve God's wrath, that we justly deserve it. And we must first all get there, that we justly deserve God's wrath, his displeasure, instead of his love and acceptance. It ends with, and without hope, so we have no other hope, right? Not in our actions, not what we could do. Save. Now this is old language, and we really ought to update it as a denomination. And without hope, save or accept. We might say that would be a better use there. Without hope, accept in his sovereign mercy. Our only hope is if God has mercy on us. There is nothing in us that um, can produce any kind of hope. There's nothing in us that can cause us to have good standing before God. The second vow. I'll read it twice like I did the first. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you receive and rest upon Him alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel. Let me read it again. Number two. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you rest, excuse me, do you receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel? What are we saying there? Well, a helpful summary might be this. I believe in Jesus and trust him to save me from my sins. 
All right, so notice that in the phrase that we've just read of this vow, there are certain things that we need to believe about God, so or about the Lord Jesus Christ specifically. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Right. So these are these are important words. The Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord is Master. Lord is creator. The Lord is the one who controls all things. He is Jesus Christ. Christ is the promised Messiah. And he is the Son of God. What do we mean by that? What we mean is that he is God. He is God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. We speak of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so we are confessing before when we take our vows that we believe that Jesus Christ is God, that he is God the Son. Not only that, but he is also the Savior of sinners. Savior of sinners. Isn't that great news? Here we have the person and the work of God combined. The person is the fact that he is the Son of God. He is God himself. And his work is what? As Savior of sinners. Right. So the first vow said, we are sinners. The second is we believe that there is hope because of what God's Word has said for sinners like you and me. Praise be to God for that. All right, so we, we, say, we are first saying that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, publicly pronouncing this. When we take vows, the reason we do them in public is because these are public vows to the watching world. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not, and let me tell you what I believe about Him. He is the Son of God. And he is Savior of lost sinners like me. But then we must act on that. And that's what the second part of this vow says. Do you receive and rest upon him alone for salvation? All right, I love this language of receive and rest. If you know, um, there are some governing documents apart from the Bible of our denomination. They are not the inspired word of God. They are helpful documents. They're called the Westminster Confession of Faith the Shorter and Larger Catechism. And this is language that you'll find throughout. the. They're called the Westminster Standards. Uh, you'll find this language of receiving and resting upon Christ throughout those documents. And it's such a, a wonderful way to think about um, how we receive salvation. Salvation is a gift, right? It is not by works. Note that it does not say, and do you achieve and look to your own works and Jesus, for salvation. No, it says, do you receive? What do you do with a gift? You receive a gift. You don't earn a gift. You receive a gift. Salvation is a gift. It cannot be earned. All we have to do is believe in Jesus Christ, turn from our sins, asking him to forgive us, right? Rescue me, Lord Jesus. Save me. And do I now receive him, this gift, and rest? So, that reception really, in some ways, we could say is a one-time thing, which we receive that salvation. But this rest is R-E-S-T. The rest that we do is an ongoing thing. We rest upon him alone for salvation. We're not looking to him and something else. Uh, I love uh, Mark Jessup, our former youth, uh, excuse me, he was our youth director. He was also assistant pastor here. I love his illustration. I'm sure you've heard it from me and him of what it looks like to rest and receive or to have faith in Jesus. It is what a parachutist does upon his parachute. Someone who is um, parachuting to the ground is not also flapping his wings. 
right? Well, I mean, his arms, right? Uh, he's not trying to also fly. What is he doing? He's holding on to the straps of the parachute. He is resting, resting into those straps. And that's what we do with salvation. We rest in the straps that Christ has us. We rest and we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation and nothing else as he is offered in the gospel. This is the simple gospel message that Christ came to sinners, save sinners like you and me, right? This is the gospel message. Christ came to save sinners like you and me. We are sinners. Christ came to save us, and we receive what is offered to us in the gospel. All right, third, third vow. Let me get a drink of my tasty beverage here. Sparkling water is a wonderful thing. Number three, do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes the followers of Christ? I'm going to read it again. Do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes the followers of Christ? All right, so the first two deal with salvation. The third begins to talk about um, how we're going to live now as Christians. So the third really is talking about the manner of our life. So we are publicly proclaiming before the watching world, not only that we are sinners, not only that we receive Jesus, but now we are promising to live, to seek to live as God desires us to. Right. So salvation is not fire insurance. It's not something you take out just in case it's true or just in case you need it. Rather, it changes us. True salvation leads to fruit. True salvation leads to perseverance. True salvation leads to a changed, but not perfect. Don't hear me say that, but not perfect life. And we resolve and promise before everyone. We are promising. We're making a vow to God in front of everyone to endeavor to live as becomes. That's one of those old words that's not helpful. To live at, uh, like, we should say, the followers of Christ should. We, we might say that might be a better way of saying it. You will endeavor to live as becomes the followers of Christ. Now here's the thing. This is not something we can do on our own. It's not like we are saved and then it's up to us to do the rest. There's a key phrase in the middle. In humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit. Don't you love how this, these vows are Trinitarian? We first said that we acknowledge ourselves as sinners in the sight of God, right? Uh, then we say we believe in the Lord Jesus, second person of the Trinity. And now we're relying upon the third person of the Trinity, reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who applies to us the benefits of all that Christ has done on our behalf. And as believers in Christ, as we seek to live lives that are godly, and worthy of our calling, we cannot do so. We cannot do so apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. I love how, let's see, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I love this. Chapter, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But Jesus said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. My friends, if, if we think we can do the Christian life on our own, then we're sunk. Straight up. We just need to go home, start over the next day. Because there's nothing in us that can fulfill the Christian life. We need the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ given to us through the Holy Spirit, through His ministry in our hearts. How can we summarize the third vow? With the Holy Spirit's help, I will live like a Christian should. We can't do it on our own. We must rely upon God. Questions number four and five, the fourth and fifth vow, talk about our relationship and the promises that we're going to make to the local congregation. So the number number four, vow number four says, do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? Let me read that again. Do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? We might summarize this. Uh, I will do whatever I can to help the family of First Presbyterian Church. All right, so a couple of things here that we might say. One, we're, and this I'll be talking with our students as we uh, deal with this one in particular, is that, hey, we're, we're saying we're going to be in worship. Right? Now, I'm not talking about the COVID stuff. I'm not talking about health. I'm not talking about shut-ins. I'm talking about that we are going to make it a priority in our lives to be involved in our church. That, we're gonna, that when we join it, we are making a commitment to be engaged, to be involved. And not just, not just as uh, consumers, not just as those who are taking, but rather those who are contributing. Here's the thing that each and every one of us, including you, whoever you are, each one of us has been given spiritual gifts, if we're Christians, uh, that God has given to us for not only our blessing, not only for the blessing of our children, not only for the blessing of our families, not only for our enjoyment, but also for the building up of the local congregation. Everybody has one of these gifts. Some people have more, but everybody has at least one. And God has given us those gifts for the express purpose of using them, the local congregation, to further Christ's kingdom. You know, a lot of times the gifts that are uh, less um, glamorous, we might say. That's, that's probably not the best way to put it. But the less glamorous gifts um, often people think are less than the ones that are flashy. Right? When you think about uh, the flashy gifts, and you know the, the people who like like Jan Lanier, who has just this amazing ability on the piano. Um, but let me tell you something: that's that may not be your gift, and that's okay. And that doesn't mean that your gift is not any less important. In fact, the exact opposite is true. Uh, that God has given each and every one of us these important gifts. Some are, are less flashy, but all are just as important as the other ones. Uh, my brain's not working here. Oh, here it is. Okay. First uh, Corinthians 12 tells us to that. Tells us about that. Uh, verse 18. But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose. Right? If all were a single member or body part, right, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Um, 
so here, here's the thing, that we are all given spiritual gifts to use for the local congregation. And it is our desire that everybody use those. Every member serving, that, that might be a, a good way to put it. Um, let's see. The fifth, the fifth vow, the final one is, do you submit yourselves to the government and discipline of the church and promise to study its purity and peace? Number five, do you submit yourselves to the government and discipline of the church and promise to study its purity and peace? We might summarize it like this. And this is how we summarize it for the children, for the students. I will submit myself to the leaders of First Presbyterian Church just like I should my parents and avoid fighting with other members. <laughs> I like that a lot. Let me read that summary again. I will submit myself to the leaders of First Presbyterian Church just like I should my parents and avoid fighting with other members. So there really are... Um, about three elements of this vow. The first is that you are that we are submitting ourselves to the government, right? The government of the local congregation. And and what what's the authority structure within a Presbyterian church? Well, Christ is the head, right? And then you have elders and deacons. I'm an elder. I'm a teaching elder. Uh, and then we have ruling elders. Uh, the currently serving session. Let me think if I can do it off the top of my head. We have uh, Sean McCracken, uh, Bo Long, Mike Godwin, Kevin. Kevin Kelly, and Hugh Fountain. Uh, so these five ruling elders and myself, a teaching elder, we meet once a month to deal with things regarding the church and to make plans and to make decisions. Uh, and these thing, all these offices, including mine, are elected by the congregation and are representative in nature. And so when someone becomes a member, uh, one is promising as far as the leadership is doing what is godly, to submit to their leadership. Uh, we also have deacons who are involved with very important decisions, and so uh, we support those deacons as they make decisions for the church in the areas of their concern. Um, so we're submitting ourselves to the government of the church, but also discipline of the church. Matthew 18 outlines the process of church discipline. Uh, church discipline is something that is done in a positive and negative sense. Positive in that technically church discipline is done every Sunday. And when you hear the word preach, the building up, the discipleship of God's people. But also, when someone becomes a member of the church, they, they are acknowledging the fact that if they begin to run an unrepentant sin, that is, doing something heinous that is ungodly and after being warned lots of times, they still are running, and at some point it may have to come before the session, and there may be a rebuke involved. Ultimately, the, the, the last thing that happens is excommunication, and that's a terrible thing, but even the goal of excommunication is not punishment. Rather, instead, it is for the sake of the sinner, of the reclaiming of souls and the glory of Christ and the purity of the church. The third thing, though, is promising to study the purity and peace of the congregation. Uh, you know, that's, that's one of those phrases we really need to change again. Promise to study. What is study? Here it means to be focused upon, to pursue, to work upon, to work towards. Promise to work towards, devoted to its purity and peace. Now, purity uh, here certainly uh, can have a lot of different meanings. Um, but also, one of the things that's talking about, like the purity of doctrine, right? The purity of doctrine, but also pursuing the peace in the congregation. This, this last phrase is really helpful. It is saying that when we join a church, we are committed to godly conflict resolution. Um, 
you know, the old saying that we heard in seminary was, the color of the carpet does not split a church. Rather, who decides who decides the color of the carpet at the church? Um, you know, it, it's uh, anytime you get sinners together, there's, there's going to be conflict. And not all conflict is bad, by the way. Conflict just means you may not agree. You may think the... Uh, the best way to, um, I don't know, the best color for my office really shouldn't be these beautiful pine boards, but should be fuchsia. I'm not even sure what color fuchsia is. Now, that's not a, an immoral argument. I think it might be wrong, but we would have, we'd be in conflict over that. But we have made in these membership vows a promise to God and to each other that we're not going to get... Um, sinfully angry at one another, but rather to work out our differences. Uh, you know, there are a lot of great ways to pursue peace within the local congregation. If you are ever at odds with somebody, tell them. I mean, let me let me rephrase that. Don't just go, hey, say, hey, I don't like you. Rather, hey, we need to talk about this. I'm kind of upset, or you've sinned against me, or, um, you know, could, could we grab coffee? Uh, start with saying, hey, is there anything that I've done against you that I need to repent of? You know, start from that perspective. And if there is, uh, if there are an irreconcilable views, uh, actually the elders are, are appointed by God. And one of the things that um, the elders are there for is, is conflict resolution. Uh, I was reading about that this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, about how there shouldn't be lawsuits uh, between believers, like within the church. Um, let's see. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 4. So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing at the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? Uh, so if, if you really are in conflict with somebody, especially our ruling elders, it would be very good to sit down and, and talk through the issue. All right, so those are the five vows that we've all taken. Uh, I'm not technically a member here, but I have taken these in past congregations uh, that we have all taken as members of the church. And it's a good thing to remember them, to be reminded of those things that we have promised. Well, I hope this finds you well. May the Lord bless your day and your week. Let's pray. So, Father, we thank you for your love and grace. And, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be true to all the vows we have taken before you, like our marriage vows and our membership vows. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.